Welcome to the First Pres Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.20, 9.45, and 11.10. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. And I encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. In chapter 2, as we begin a new series together, Way of Life, looking for the way of life in Jesus, and we will begin with Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 21 this morning. So open your Bibles and let's receive the word of the Lord together, church. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on us as a church, as a body of people in this world who desperately need to hear from you. Open our hearts to hear your living word. Speak to us words of grace and of truth for our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, what is your way of life? You ever think about that question? That's a big question, isn't it? Some say happiness is a way of life, service is a way of life, or adventure is a way of life. I've heard that success is a way of life and that failure is a way of life. What is, what is a way of life? We talk about defending our way of life, the American way of life. What are we talking about? What exactly are we talking about? If someone asked you to sit down and define your way of life, would you have any, what words would you put down? Would you have anything to say? How would you talk about it? It's a big question. And sometimes it's, it's a big question, but it's also frighteningly unexamined. Socrates said when he was teaching, the unexamined life is not worth living. And he was not the dumbest guy to walk across the stage of history. And the Bible tells us uh, to examine our lives. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, we read, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Are you living 
an unexamined life. Well, when I say way of life, when I use that phrase way of life, I'm talking about the whole shebang here. I'm talking about how you see yourself, how you understand God, how you look at the world and grasp your role in it. Your way of life is a a paradigm. It's a worldview that measures the experiences you have and evaluates them even as you're experiencing them. And it even makes decisions for you and shapes your behaviors as you live your life, sometimes before you're even conscious that all of this is going on. Your way of life is, is who you are. It's the whole thing. Now, a new way of life. Imagine this. Imagine a new way of life. A new way of life is total transformation. A new way of life changes everything, even though nothing changes. Follow me here because that should have made no sense to you. <laughs> a new way of life, a new way of life, but, but your job is just the same. Your house is just the same. The walls are the same color. Your car is the same car it was right before. It still makes that annoying little noise when you reach that certain speed, you know, on the highway. Your kids are the same kids. They're having the same fights, breaking the same stuff, right? Your, your husband is the same husband he's been. He snores just as loud. Same husband. Your wife is the same wife. Now, I can't think of anything that wives do wrong, dude. <laughs> Can Can you? When a, when a new way of life breaks in, everything stays the same, but everything is different. Because you have a new perspective. You look at it all in a new way. When you accept Christ, when the light of Christ breaks in on you, everything changes, even though nothing is different in your world. C.S. Lewis famously said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but by it I see everything else. Christianity, a life in Christ, the truth of Christ is a light that illumines not just you, not just your religious life, not just your role in church, it illumines everything in the world. And everything is seen anew. It's a way of life. For the next eight weeks then, we'll be talking about the sermons of Peter and Paul in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the next book after the four gospels. It continues the story into the next chapter. And Acts is roughly broken up, if you don't know, into Peter's half and Paul's half. So we're gonna listen to sermons from both of these men. There's a lot in the book of Acts, but we're gonna focus on the sermons. Why? Because it's there. In these critical moments, when these men opened their mouths and and the Spirit of God gave them something to say, it's in these moments that the way of life that we meet in Jesus, the way of life that they preach about, the way of life that the Spirit of God reveals to them, this way of life, it comes into contact with the way of life that the people are living. 
And we get to see the, the difference. We get to see the contrast. How different is the way of life in Jesus from these ways of life of the world. And you know what? Um, as we go along, I bet you will find that you have allowed some competing ways of life into your own patterns and habits, your own way of thinking, your home, your family. So we stand to learn a great deal. We begin with Peter's sermon on Pentecost. Peter the fisherman, Peter the simple, uneducated man from Bethsaida of Galilee. Peter opens his mouth and begins to speak. Some say this is the moment that Peter moves from being a disciple to being an apostle. Now, do you know, Peter was not a way of life kind of a guy. Uh, Peter was not a philosopher. He was not a rabbi. He was not an educated man. He was not a theologian. He wasn't a guy used to making grand speeches or great arguments. Uh, Frankly, he wasn't really used to people listening to what he had to say at all. And here he is called to speak. Oh, and he was surprised. I'm sure he was surprised. And as were the 11 around him. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. He raised his voice, it says. Now, I wonder if that means that he started out a little quieter than that. Uh, hey, everybody, I've got just one thing I wanted to say about that. If I could just have your t- What, Peter? What was it? Peter, if you have something to say, stand up and say it. You know, put on your command voice. Let's do it. Stand and deliver. And then Peter comes forward. And he opens his mouth. And in the confidence only of a humble sinner in the hands of a living God and the power only of a spirit of God speaking through a simple man, Peter raised his voice. Hey, let me explain. Let me tell you what's happening. Listen carefully to what I have to say. Now, I can't imagine the dread in his heart. (laughs) Have you ever been there? All eyes on him, all of a sudden, he has no prepared remarks, he has no title or authority by which to speak, and yet his mouth is open. So he gets started, verse 15. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Good start, Peter, good, solid. Okay, let's build on that, but but you're out of the gate, okay? And then the God thing happens. A scripture occurs to Peter, you see. A scripture occurs to him. I should say, I should quote that. And and as as he opens his mouth, he's able to recite it word for word. The God thing moves in. Friends, if you're taking notes, if you ever have to speak for Jesus and have no idea what to say, the Bible is a good place to turn. The word of God doesn't disappoint. Peter is no orator. But you know what, he's obedient. 
and he opens his mouth to speak. He will speak. He will bear faithful witness. And that willingness is all God needs. Peter's uh, sermon is perfect timing. It was the Feast of Pentecost. This is a great festival held in Jerusalem every year celebrating the gift of the Torah, the gift of the Word of God. It's a gift. And they would have a great party, a great festival to celebrate that we have the Word of God as a gift. It was a a gigantic Bible party. Only it was crazy. It was a crazy Bible party. And people would come from all around to celebrate the gift of the word of God. Jews had come in from all the surrounding nations where they lived in dispersion. They'd come into Jerusalem to join the festival and it was then as the word was lifted up and celebrated that the spirit came down upon the disciples in power. And this is the spirit of, this is the the moment of Pentecost that we celebrate, the birth of the church. As the spirit came down and blew in like a wind and like fingers of flame, the spirit touched the disciples with power. It was something supernatural. And it changed them. And the disciples started speaking to those gathered in their native language, miraculously, languages that they were never trained in. And it's beautiful. And Peter's watching it all. And he's saying, this is perfect. The good news about Jesus is suddenly being shared in dozens of languages to people who've come from every corner of the known world. And they'll be able to understand it and carry it home. It's wonderful. But the people around who surround it, to them it looks ugly. It looks foolish, it looks silly, and they think this is probably the product of alcohol. And that's where Peter just can't let that go. God's done something beautiful here. And so he's compelled, and all of a sudden, everyone's looking at him, and all of a sudden, his mouth is open. Perfect timing, Peter. But it wasn't Peter's timing, was it? And then um, the question of what to say occurs to Peter. When you, one important thing about opening your mouth in front of a crowd is having something to say, right? Or do I need to review for you all the anxiety dreams that I have as a pastor? (laughs) Where the sermon notes are, yeah. Peter, you know, his mouth is open. What are you gonna say? What are you gonna say? And he quotes the perfect scripture for the moment. Joel 2. Joel 2 is richly Trinitarian. Trinitarian. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. This passage, it it delivers us three terms for God. God, Spirit, and Lord, all doing divine God things, but each in a slightly different manner. It's the perfect scripture. Peter must have known the church would need help understanding God as three persons, one God. He must have known we were going to engage in all of these debates and searchings, so he delivered the perfect scripture. 
It's the perfect scripture because it's thickly Christological. It presents a high view of who Jesus is as Lord. It's so thickly Christological that scholars like Professor Kevin Rowe at Duke still study and write about it. Stuff like this. Here's what Kevin wrote. In the context of Acts 2, kurios, the Greek word for Lord, refers both to the God of Israel and to Jesus. Luke's hermeneutical appropriation of the OT reflects a rather more complex theological move, one in which the prophecy of the text of Joel is expanded, not negated, to say that the Lord God's coming is actually fulfilled in the appearance of the Lord Jesus. Wow. Perfect scripture, Peter, right? How did Peter know that quoting that scripture at that time would give scholars at Duke cause 2,000 years later to argue that Jesus is God? A genius. He didn't know, did he? I think when we get to heaven and we ask Peter about that, he'll say, I had no idea. (laughs) That was in my devotion that morning. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times as a pastor a a word of God has been needed, the right scripture has been needed, and you know it's it's just the scripture that, that I was reading that morning or it came to me on Facebook or, and then you look like a genius but it's just how God delivers his word. The spirit prompts, and will you speak? Perfect timing, perfect scripture, all because Peter was willing, that's all. He was willing. God uses our imperfection to do perfect things. Now all of that was just set up. The real sermon is about to begin. The main point, and it's a good thing, we need to get to the main point. Friends, the the main point is this. Peter argues that God is there. In humble obedience, he opens his mouth, he speaks, and in his testimony to the Lord, he makes a profound argument, more profound probably than he himself even realized. He winds up arguing, making the argument that God is, is there. Peter makes an argument for the way of life in Jesus that recognizes the presence of God. Now remember who he's speaking to. He he should have been quaking in his boots. I would have been quaking in my boots. It says he addresses, uh, first of all, fellow Jews. That's probably all the Jews who've come from far and wide. But then he's also speaking to all you who live in Jerusalem. Now, now those are the leaders who just ended the Jesus movement. Those are the leaders who just convinced Rome to kill Jesus. Those are the leaders who are staring at Peter and thinking, how can I get that guy's head off his shoulders? And he stands to speak. He speaks anyway. He's compelled to speak. He can't do other but speak. 
And the reason is because God has done something. The Spirit has moved. Something supernatural has occurred, and everybody saw it, and so Peter stands to explain it. That's what compels him, that God did something, and it was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was amazing. It was glorious. And the people around him, they look on it, and they call it ugly, foolish, meaningless, irrelevant, Ridiculous, and Peter just can't. When God moves and he does something beautiful and the world can't see, they can't see. You just can't let it stand. And so Peter speaks. He speaks to testify to the religious people all around them. And what he winds up saying is, you know, You know, sometimes God does things. God is there. These religious people surrounding Peter, watching this happen, they had succumbed to what we would call a practical atheism. A practical atheism. Although they claimed to believe in God, they lived as though God did not exist. Although they prayed regularly, they lived as though God would never move, no expectation that God would move or do anything at all. Although in theory, they were the most devoted to God in all the world, they lived their lives as though the material world is all there is. And so Peter had to say, no, no, God is there. And sometimes God does stuff. According to polls, uh, Americans, 89% say they believe in God, 89%. But only 20% are in church on a given Sunday. Are we living as though God is there or are we living as practical atheists? Or how about our prayer life? Are we quick to pray? Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray? We tried to do everything. We might as well just throw it up, you know, in a prayer. Meanwhile, God, the author, the maker of all things, God, the creator of the universe, God, the all-powerful, omnipotent, the ruler and author of all life, in whom all things were made, by whom all things were made, and, and in whom all things hold together, this God, with no limit of power, this God is an afterthought. Are we living in the presence of God, or are we living as practical atheists? I mean, we're the religious people, right? I mean, we are the religious ones. We came. We're the ones who are at church on Sunday morning. But are you living as a child of God in his presence, or are you living as practical Atheists, why do we who believe in God want to live as though he's not there, as though he doesn't do anything, as though he never moves? This way of life, this practical atheism, this materialistic naturalism, it creeps in, even to our lives as believers, it creeps in and we find ourselves forgetting that God is right there and that from time to time God does stuff, God moves Verse 19, I will pour my spirit out 
I will pour out my spirit in those days, says the Lord. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. God will show you signs. He'll show you. God is there. I tried this week um, to live my life recognizing the presence of God. You know, it's kind of like um, going into Target or going into a store where the brand is on everything. And you walk in, the brand is on the outside. And you go inside the store, the brand is on the walls. The brand is down the aisles. The brand is on every product that's coming, that you're taking to the front. It's on your little basket. And you realize, oh, the brand is everywhere. Friends, God's brand is everywhere in your life. Abram Kuyper said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. God's brand is on everything. And the way of life found in Jesus, the way of life in Christ, is constant awareness of the presence of God. So I tried to do that. I tried to think... um, You know, the belt I'm wearing, Uh, I know my belt, God knew the cow. (laughs) You know? The the wood in my house, Uh, I know the wood, God knew the trees as they were growing up. Uh, The iron in my car, God knew the rocks, he put them in place. The the shoes on my feet, uh, God knows the person who who sewed them together. The brand of God is everywhere. God's brand is on everything. A constant awareness of the presence of God. Try it this week. But you know what else I found? I found that there are places in my life where I wasn't confident that God would move. There are places in my life where I was acting as though it's all up to me, where I'm alone in the universe with that problem. There's no way God would would do anything about this. God doesn't move in that situation. I have to handle that myself. There's no way God would change uh, that person's heart. I just have to deal with that. Or how about this? There's no way that God could bring me peace or soothe my soul or relieve my stress. It's up to me to do that. So I'm going to bring myself comfort and, and soothe my soul and find ways to relieve my stress through whatever means that I find. I'm in charge of that one. Friends, why do we want to live as though there's no God when we know that there is? The way of life in Jesus Christ is not living as though God does not exist. Let's root out practical atheism. That's life without God, and that's no way of life. The way of life in Jesus Christ is living in the presence of God, knowing that He is there. God is there. He is our God, and we are His people, the sheep of His pasture, and His eye is on us and never turns away. He is with you where you are. His love is for you. He is constantly aware of you. And we, we, we find life as we are constantly aware of Him.
Friends, if God is there, then there's no more important discipline than living in the constant awareness of his presence. But finally, if God is there, there's no more important question in your life than can I be right with God? And so our passage closes, and so do I this morning, with this promise. Verse 21, and everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's call on the name of the Lord and find our way of life in Jesus. Lord, for me, I'm exhausted with a life trying to pretend that you're not there. Help me to set it aside, Lord, to open my heart. Help each of us, Lord, to lay down our burdens and to trust that you are there, you do care for us, you are present, and you move. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to see you, your brand on everything around us. And help us, Lord, to call on your name in courage, not to be afraid, but to know that to call on the name of Jesus is to be forgiven, to be restored, to be renewed, to be given everlasting life, and to walk with you. So, Lord, draw us towards you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at first-prez.org.